You are now listening to the NRVR podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm speaking with Ando Shah. Ando is a designer of experiences, the likes of which the world has never seen yet. And I'm just super excited to have you on the show. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show today, Ando. Hi, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Perfect. I'm happy to have you. So let's uh, let's get this uh, let's get let's get started. How? What are you working on? I'm very curious to know what you're working on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I uh, am co-founder of a company called Ballast Technologies, and we build aquatic VR experiences. Um, We started out with um, putting virtual reality on water slides, actual water slides that you go down. And instead of going down, you know, fairly boring tube, you're now flying through space worlds, underwater worlds, etc. And the, the whole thing is entirely tracked, so your body motions match what you see and feel in VR. Um, and that was sort of a stepping stone for us to get into actual aquatic VR, where you're in a body of water, like a pool, uh, with a modified um, scuba glasses, which have a VR headset inside of it. And using the, the buoyancy of water and the tactility of water, you now have a full sensory experience of going on a dive with whales or um, floating in space um, through the space station um, and doing a whole bunch of zero gravity experiences, essentially. Let me ask you this. Why aquatic VR? Out of all the things that you could be doing in VR, you, you guys went straight to water <laughs> and VR. And here's the thing. Here's the funny thing about it that I'm thinking about. It's like it's making just regular VR in the atmosphere <laughs> is hard enough and you guys are going in the water <laughs> so you're adding an extra layer of difficulty it seems like you like you sir like to play um, the game of life on extra hard mode uh, so tell me about your decisions here tell me about why water and VR this is a very good question so um, I can tell you about how this started and that might give it a frame of reference. Um, I used to work as a marine biology researcher in Mozambique, um, studying whale sharks and manta rays and whales and turtles and all sorts of megafauna. Um, and while I was out there, you know, diving four or five times a week, you know, for months on end, I basically encountered every sort of wildlife and it blew my mind away. And I uh, grew up with almost a co-genital fear of water. Um, And I only learned how to swim in my late 20s. I'm like the first person in three generations in my family to learn how to swim. So there's like all of this like trauma associated with water in my family because my grandfather died in a swimming accident. Um, It sort of got passed down to me. But I've always been fascinated by the ocean, water and being in the water. And so I did all these things to get over my fear of water. And when I had all these magical experiences with, uh, you know, whales and manta rays and killer whales and stuff, it gave me this profound connection with the creatures that inhabit this almost alien world. And I just have so much respect and love for that environment. 
Um, and I wanted to bring that back for regular people who would almost not have, almost certainly not have a chance to have these incredible experiences and help and hence build that bond. And, and I was also w- working in VR for a while around this time. And I was like, you know, VR is a great tool for building empathy. And what if we can use that to build empathy with the ocean? So that's sort of the genesis of this. And it actually turned out to be a lot easier than you would imagine. Um, because being in water um, solves some inherent issues in VR, a- aka motion sickness. If your tracking is not perfect when you're on land, so when you're moving one centimeter to the left, in VR, your, your uh, camera position must definitely move one centimeter to the left with zero latency, essentially, and with that, a precision. Um, in water, I can actually do crazy accelerations, any sort of movement I want, up, down, left, right, and you will not get sick. So that is one of the really interesting things that we figured out while doing this. Because the brain is losing its frame of reference because it has the headset on and the water it's floating. Uh, how much of how much of this how much research have you have you like have you guys poked into with with how the human brain is reacting or just acting or I don't know I guess I don't know even the word like. What does it look like when you, like, if I if I could like brain image a brain of someone using VR underwater, like, and would you, like using your hardware, like that would be, <laughs> what what would I look like? That would be so interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's a great question. So our um, advisor Jeremy Billinson, he's a professor at Stanford, and he's been studying VR and its effects on the brain and our um, psychology essentially for more than a decade now. And he's actually researching what happens um, to the vestibular system, which is the, the part of it's our inner ear that gives us a sense of balance in water. And it's definitely got something to the inner ear. And somehow what you're saying is correlating, which is that some sort of frame of reference is lost. And as a result of which, your brain accepts any sort of motion inputs from the other senses and accepts them. So it's got this interesting effect. We don't know exactly what's going on. Um, I think there's a fair bit of research required to be able to answer that question. But right now, we're, we're just taking advantage of it and doing some really interesting experiences. Yeah. You, I'm, if someone come, came up to you and said, well, what is, what is the difference to me to see a whale like if I put on, like for example, my one of my first experiences with the HTC Vive back in the day was the yeah. whale by the yeah. Weaver, the the blue, no, not the whale, the blue. It's called the blue, but you see a big whale in the blue, and I was there in on land watching this giant whale uh, swim past me. How much different? How much does? How much does the experience get better if I see that while I'm in the water? Like, is there? Yeah, is it, well, what I'm asking is, is it worth the hassle <laughs> to me, for me to, like, put on some swim shorts, jump in a swimming pool to go see that whale again, but now I'm in the water? Because, I mean, you got my curiosity. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what has, what have your users said or what does the comparative sort of line of thinking look like here? Um, so let me put it this way. Um, yeah. When you're using an HTC Vive, how many sensors are being used? 
essentially two, right? Your side and sound. Yes. Uh, when you're in water, you're using all your senses because, uh, and not just the five, uh, you, because you can touch the water, you're tasting the water, it's in your mouth, um, you're smelling the water, um, your uh, proprioception receptors understand that something different is happening. It is basically your sense of where your body is in space. Um, if you close your eyes and you're in water, if you're floating by, you have no idea where your body is anymore relative to the rest of space. Um, it's harder to tell where your limbs are if you're floating. Um, so it's also, it's not just involving all the senses, also taking away one of your um, core points of reference, which is gravity. Um, and once you do this, um, it becomes easier for the brain somehow to accept what's being shown to you visually. And in the beginning, we thought, okay, maybe if that's our hypothesis, only underwater experiences would work. But it turns out that you can do flying and space experiences and accept all of them the same way. That's got something to do with this sense of gravity uh, reference being lost. Um, and to give a different dimension to that answer, uh, when we were doing a lot of testing you know, with beta testers as well as um, users in the field, so right now we have uh, about six different installations uh, around the world for our VR snorkeling product, which is called Diver, D-I-V-R. Very clever, I know. Um, <laughs> and um, we have, you know, when we go out and set these things up, um, we will have people who will come out in tears um, when they have this interaction with the whale. And it's not because, and we were doing this when we were early on in our uh, content cycle, so it wasn't even as polished as the whale in the blue. Um, and it wasn't just the fact that it was a whale. It was the fact that it, the entire frame of reference was so much more believable. You felt like you were in the whale's habitat. You felt like the whale's, uh, the singing of the whale was actually affecting you at a tactile level because that's how sound works underwater. You don't really hear it. You actually feel it through your entire body. So we do all of these things. We use water under sound, uh, underwater sound. Um, and so all of these things combined have a much greater effect than you would if you had, if you were doing the same thing about water. I checked your website and I don't see anywhere where it says that you have a multi-million dollar contract with NASA. And the reason why I say <laughs> that is because the simulation training aspects of this are huge. Now, the thing is, like considering the input, like... Like, here's the thing, like, you've seen videos of NASA astronauts repairing this, a mock-up of the space station and this mm -hmm. giant swimming pool that costs millions and millions of dollars, and I'm sure it takes, it, it costs a lot of money to run and maintain. But now, you can do that in any swimming pool, assuming you have the right input. And so the question, I have the question, there's a couple questions here. The, one of them is, how, what are you guys thinking in terms of input here? Um... And the other question is, is there a simulation training route perhaps that you might be cooking up in the back? What does that look like? Uh, you know, when we started, we thought that it would be one of the driving forces of, um, you know, as a revenue source and as a research direction, getting into simulation and training. Um, it is something that is very strongly a part of the vision of the company. Um, but to answer why it isn't a reality today, 
uh, let me start with the first one, which is the inputs question. Um, so when you said that, you know, why are you doing this underwater? It's already hard enough to do it in the atmosphere. Uh, the, the, the part of the answer that I gave that, hey, it's actually easier for certain things. Let me give you the flip side of that answer, which is that some things are really hard underwater. Mm-hmm. And one of them is tracking. So every tracking mechanism that you use above water essentially does not work underwater. Um, if you use infrared, any sort of light beams, they're basically not going to work because they get obfuscated either by bubbles, by refractive properties, or by just water absorbing uh, frequencies closer to red with distance. Inside out camera tracking doesn't really work. We haven't pushed it to its limits yet, but um, things like distortion, bubbles, uh, frames of reference, like, you know, uh, are there unique features underwater on the sides of the walls of the swimming pool, whatever. All that stuff is really, really hard. The only person who's figured out underwater motion tracking is James Cameron. And he did it because he's shooting all these sequences for Avatar Part 2 and 3 underwater. And he needs to have a very accurately motion tracked setup. And he spent millions and millions of dollars. Uh, of course, he has the budget and the talent pool to do it. And he's the only one who's, who can do that. Uh, so to answer your question about simulations, um, when you want to be able to do simulations of repairing the, the space station or just basic tasks in space, you need to have a frame of reference for where your hands are, where, where your torso is, where your head is in reference to all of this, where your legs are. And that is very hard. How did James Cameron do it? With, is he using inside-out cameras? Is he using some, I mean, does no one know? And he's going to bury that secret with him? It's going to take him to his grave? Like, what What did he do? I mean, knowing James Cameron, he's probably, it's going to be in some documentary that he makes about how he made these films uh, or something like that. But uh, as far as I know, he's used outside-in. And that's essentially how high-end motion tracking happens. Um, but oh. how he... Yeah, how he worked around um, things like bubbles, because bubbles is the main issue with outside in. As soon as you have a bubble, you've lost it. Like, you know, you've lost these 10 frames and now the entire sequence is unusable for motion capture. Um, In in VR, it might be a little bit easier. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and apparently like all these sequences that he did with his actors, they, they, they trained as free divers so they could hold their breath underwater and not generate bubbles and be able to do all these elegant movements and stuff. So wow. <clears throat> there's, a, I guess there's a bunch of Hollywood magic that went in along with the tech to get this to work. Yeah, it seems like, uh, yeah, it seems like it'll be a solvable, it's not an impossible problem. It's just a really yeah. hard problem to solve. Yeah, and um, I would totally love to work on this stuff. Um, and, uh, but, you know, right now it's also a question of, how do we make a sustainable business and going after, you know, decade long multi-million dollar projects with NASA with a small startup team is probably end game. Yeah. It's, it's not going to work in the short term mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to figure. Yeah. And, and I, okay. And so help me understand your, your current strategy then. So water parks and, and it seems like uh, scuba divers, snorkeling experiences. Tell me, mo- tell me more what that looks like. What does your strategy look like? And yeah, let's let's start there, and, and then I'll follow up. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, when we started the company, it was we did this as an experiment. Um, Stephen, my co-founder, he, him and a friend, they got together, they built a uh, um, mask and we got MIT tech review to just cover it. Hey, these guys are doing this interesting experiment. Then we had all these water parks contact us and be like, hey, we want this. And we're like, okay. And then we had this German company that makes water slides and designs water parks. And they wanted us to build a system for uh, water slides, essentially. And based off of those contracts, and we've, we've got um, three of these uh, VR water slides in Europe right now, uh, we managed to bootstrap our company working with water parks. And we ended up getting into this water park industry, which we had no idea about. And it's, it's really niche. Um, but the good thing about a niche uh, industry is that once you get into it, um, you know how it works, and then you can play all of that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. So that's we just sort of fell into this, which was great. Um, and water parks are essentially our main bread and butter right now, and they're always looking for ways to monetize their existing infrastructure. And basically, pools are unmonetized infrastructure anywhere in the world. Um, they're used for recreation. For the most part, nobody really charges people to use a pool for, you know, an hour or something. It, it's not the dominant model. Um, but what we're trying to go into is work with hotels and resorts, um, work with water parks, and essentially remain in the B2B space and sell um, sell to these entities. Um, we, we tried with sensory deprivation. <laughs> but, hmm. Hmm. Um, very early on, actually. This is very interesting. Um, uh, I mean, I have very mixed feelings about it. I don't think it's the right thing to use with, a uh, right tool to use with, you know, flotation therapy because you are trying to deprive you all your senses and go inwards. Mm. And just adding visuals and sound is just taking away from that experience. And it's not meditative anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's more external than internal. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of our current strategy. Um, we, we really want to work on space, uh, you know, astronaut training and simulations, um, diver, um, uh, you know, like industrial divers. Um, yeah. it's a very challenging workspace for divers. They spend so much money, so much training is required. It's very risky. Um, so we're starting to look into that stuff. We've had some outreach, uh, actually inbound, you know, people wanting to do this stuff. So we see how it progresses. Um, we've even tried a system which works, you know, in a, so right now it's a, it's a snorkeling system. You're at the surface of the water, essentially, breathing through a snorkel. Uh, we've also made it work with um, a scuba diving setup where you're completely underwater. It's a lot more challenging because you have to move in three dimensions and um, there's some interesting things you can do there. I want to go back to the sensory deprivation tank for a second because it, it, it seems like you you found yourself um, sort of trying to combine these two very sort of opposite things. <laughs> you know, sensory deprivation tank is about depriving the senses, escaping from so much you know technology and 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 the hassle of the world, and then you got. A VR headset that is completely opposite of that, and so <laughs> and when you try to combine them, it seems like you you have to choose what you want to lean into, and it seems like instead of calling it a sensory deprivation tank, maybe we, we should call it a sensory alteration tank, 
because you go in there and you're just you really are altering your senses here like it's with, with I, I would imagine with the vr headset on while in the sensory deprivation tank like it's a it's like a it's a different a whole new way has to be thought about that experience and i don't know what that is yet but i feel like there's something there's something there not for everyone but there's something there and i and, and it seems like uh yeah so so i don't i hope i hope it's not a, a open and shut case for you guys maybe hopefully it might there might be something there in the future but no, I think I think you're right. Um, I would echo the sentiment that there is something there. Um, I just don't think that the the current avatar of putting on a VR headset and getting into a a, a sensory deprivation pod is the is the right modality here, mm-hmm. because it's it's sort of antithetical to what it what it's meant for. Uh, but if you simplify the whole setup, for example, and you say, hey, I, I don't really need hypersaline water. I don't need to be in a completely sealed off chamber. I've got a thing on my face anyway. Um, I, I don't need this to be, uh, you know, a sealed off. Maybe this can be in a pool where you're just floating face down or you know, on your back. And you're, maybe you're with other people, maybe you're not. And then you just have this and you do it as a relaxing experience, mm-hmm. essentially. Right, and it could be something as simple as that because as soon as you introduce hypersaline water, it's it's difficult for the electronics because it corrodes like you know, all the linings that keeps things waterproof. Um, because you're so uh, buoyant in water, your head you relax your neck and you're essentially looking up, and you don't want to move your body. And if you're not moving your head even one bit, then do you really need VR? Mm-hmm. Right, then you, you're not getting a sense of virtual space at that point. Yeah. I, I, I want to move uh, a little towards you know, another direction which and that I thought about is, is and I wonder what your experiments or thoughts ha- are on using your technology for medical, like physical therapy, or maybe, or maybe even high-performance physical training for athletes um where and so and so yeah there's a there seems like there's there might be something there like like i know there um there are companies like uh, at where you incorporate vr to like run oh no to lift weights or to run on a on a on a a stationary bicycle and you have vr i wonder if like uh, people will swim harder or do tasks even will be more engaged if you if you and and use it as Again, as a as a gym kind of experience, as a as an exercise kind of experience. So I guess that's where I'm coming towards. Sort of, you know, what have your, um, what are your thoughts on using, uh, your hardware for exercise, in the pool? <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess it's a two pronged question. There's like a health and wellness, and then there's like an exercise as well. Yes. Um, so we, we've, there's another company called Swim with Dolphins. They're based in the Netherlands. Um, and they actually have an underwater VR headset. Um, it's a pretty simple one. Um, it works. Um, and their whole ethos was they've, it's a, it's a, 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 it's a couple and they have all the, they've had all these magical experiences swimming with dolphins and they wanted to bring this to other people. It was as simple as that. Really nice people. We've been speaking to them for a while, and they um, are 
trying to get this into a bunch of hospitals um, where you sort of get into the pool as for some sort of anxiety and relaxation therapy. Um, and, and I think it's, it's certainly extremely useful for something like that. Uh, we haven't actively worked uh, in that direction. We're just looking at supplying them with the hardware to be able to do it because we managed to scale our hardware operations and just logistics and things like that. Um, as for the exercise, um, I'm not entirely sure how to answer that question. Um, I feel like it's a tool. It can be used for many different things. Um, it's We probably get overstretched trying to apply it to everything that's possible. <laughs> so j just from a circumstantial point of view, that's probably why it hasn't happened. Um, but I don't see any reason why, you know, any, everyone should be able to try whatever they want. So I'm, we're very happy um, to have people try it and see what they come up with. Awesome. Is it available? Is this, is, is, is there an SDK? Is, can people actually develop uh, something and then like sign a, like a, a, a paper saying, Hey, you know, I'll get, you guys get this much and I get that much. If I make my own little app that can load up with your headset or how, how does that, how does that work? Or do I have to go work for you to make that app? Like <laughs> how would that work? Um, so we're just um, scaling on our content right now, and we're uh, we're working on a collaborative basis with uh, different studios and different mm -hmm. parts of the world. Um, it's it's not open in that sense um, because it's it's not a consumer platform. Um, mm -hmm. It's very dedicated towards you know it's a B two B sort of thing. Um, and right now, I don't think we have the resources to make it open as well and support community development. But at the same time, if uh, if there are um, talented devs and artists who are very interested in this, we're very happy to work with you and um, you know have it come onto the platform where you know we are essentially um, selling these experiences to our customers, and then you know we we share revenue that way, or we awesome. can figure something out. Sweet. What are your expectations for the growth of the industry, the VR industry overall, and, and how, how does that growth affect your, affect your business? Oof, overall, I have no idea. It's all, it's <laughs> Great answer. That's, you answered the best. You're the, you, gave, you gave the best answer. But the, please, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I, I have no freaking idea. Uh, so I really can't help you there. Um, we completely lucked into this niche industry, and I must say we're incredibly lucky to have a completely bootstrapped company from customer orders. Um, we're doing pretty well. We're a small team. We're growing. Um, so sometimes we, you know, in the office, we just get out from our desks. We look at each other and be like, guys, we're still alive. We're doing well. How is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> like high fives and continue you know so uh yeah it's I'm, almost I'm like really an underdog grateful. story by the way i, I <laughs> by the way it, it, my apologies for being such a such an asshole because I, I saw I, I at first glance i thought oh man i hope these guys survive but you're doing well you're doing really good and that's good <laughs> So, 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 so you totally, totally changed my, my misconceptions and my, my, 
preconceived notions of because you know I honestly I thought about it I was like at first I was like okay water VR like it's already hard enough to do regular VR you're doing it in the water man that's crazy but you were actually found a niche where that actually fills in the value like you're right these water parks are sitting on you know now on these on these experiences that wear off the novelty wears off really quickly like oh go down exactly. the water slide twice and i'm done yeah. but then now you can make that water slide do you know become a donkey kong jungle experience or i mean think about what it'll do once you guys start you know getting nintendo on board and start using their ip holy yeah. moly man remember the little guys when you guys make it okay because <laughs> You know, you're totally right that, you know, these water parks, they're these aging infrastructure for the most part. And they're always trying to stay new. Like, how do we get the kids to come here? How do we, you know, do these marketing campaigns and be like, we have all this cool stuff, you know, where it's, it requires them to spend like five to $20 million to get new stuff, build new infrastructure. And here, you know, you can buy new content and suddenly you have new stuff. So it's easy. Um so it's really interesting, like how this worked out for us somehow, and it's yeah, it's still a struggle. when there's different issues going on, but it's always interesting. We're right now. We're in. Sorry, please. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm no, just super um, excited. I'm just so excited. Like, <laughs> you guys are killing it. This is great. But uh, we have customers in Europe, in South America, and North America, and we're trying to expand to China, Middle East, and those markets there right now. Um, we're getting into the, some of the big hotels in Vegas, hopefully soon. Um, stuff like that is happening. So it's great. I can't complain. What is the user feedback like? Tell me about what you've, you know, I'm sure you did some iterate, um, maybe I'm assuming you did some iterations that there's some iteration process where, and maybe you, when you first released out the hardware with the software, it wasn't, it wasn't quite there yet. Then you had to tweak it because people were saying, people gave you some feedback or, you know, or has it been perfect from the get-go? Tell me about that, that user feedback iteration experience, if there is some. Well, you know, if, if it's perfect from the get-go, you, you've, you've completely messed up. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, our product development cycle is not typical of what would happen in this sort of industry, uh, in the VR industry in general. Um, we, when we started out doing the, the VR water slides, we had a partner on board, which was the largest water park in Europe. They have a freaking huge setup with tons of slides, all of these pools, and they basically gave us complete access to all this infrastructure, all the operations, understanding how to put in this stuff, how to maintain it, how to work with their IT departments, how to get this stuff cleaned, you know, how does this... Uh, how does sanitation work? You know, how do we make sure that the throughput is fast enough? How do we work with their lifeguards? We had all of this stuff from day one, and we had about six months to figure it out in on the ground. It wasn't like we were sitting in our lab in San Francisco, far away from all the action, and trying to build this. So again, incredibly lucky that we got to work with the customer in the real world, on the ground, from day one. And that basically informed our entire product development cycle. So we've done a ton of iterations, of course. Um, VR on the water slide is actually a very, very challenging problem to solve because you have to very accurately and very quickly 
uh, get user position and velocity uh, as they're going down the water slide. Like they can, there, there'll be parts of the water slide where they're going at like 40 miles an hour around a turn. And you have to track at those speeds. Um, so technically it's a very challenging problem, but also you're on a water slide, you know, sort of in three-dimensional space, you're not off the water slide. So you, there's a specific path that you can be on. But it's not like a roller coaster where every roller coaster run is identical because they're so well controlled. On a water slide, it depends how heavy you are, you know, how inflated your tube is, what's the pressure of the water. You, all these variables you don't know. So you have to figure all this stuff out. So we built sensor platforms. We tried various different algorithms. There were so many different iterations. Then we had to figure out what the hardware was going to be like on the headset itself. And one of the things that we did really well is to keep the most minimal sort of VR hardware because it's got to be super light. It doesn't. It can't bounce around on your face when you're going down high speeds on a water slide. Mm. It's got to be super snug, super light, um, and yet comfortable. And we brought all that ethos in to the water when we were doing the snorkeling devices as well. So uh, again, super lucky to work with customers and have that inform your product decisions all the way through was absolutely critical. Otherwise, we couldn't have done any of this. Wow, that's amazing. Where can people try this? Where can, I have listeners from a lot of a lot of countries, and so and so. I'm just kind of curious, where where can I and my friends who listen to the show go out and and try and try your experience? Yeah, so the the VR slide is operational in three different countries in Europe. The largest one is in Edding, which is just outside Munich. Um, it's called Therma Edding. It's the largest water park in Europe. Uh, it's the largest indoor water park in the world, I think. Wow. Um, there's one in Austria that we just opened in a little town called Lutzmansburg near Vienna. Um, and then the third one is in Prague in uh, the Czech Republic uh, in a water park called Aqua Palace. These are all the biggest water parks in Europe. Um, the VR slide, we've got a, a few more that are probably going to open by the end of the year. I'll keep you guys posted. Um, the diver installations, which are um, virtual reality snorkeling, um, is in a park in northern Germany in a town called Osnabrück. Um, it's going to be installed in a few more parks in Europe in the, over the summer. Um, it's going into a new park in Colombia in South America in July. Um, and they have a huge setup. They've got a purpose-built pool only for VR snorkeling. Um, we are open at the largest indoor water park in the U.S. in Northeast United States. In It's called Kalahari. It's an hour and a half from New York City in the Poconos Mountains. And we're looking at opening a few more in the U.S. in the next few months. That's amazing. I am, um, I'm so happy that Europe, Europe jumped on board on this so, so eagerly, so, so quickly. It's, it's like, a, it, a, you used to, I mean, I remember going to meetings and people used to say like, oh, you know, there's not, there's not a, Europe is not the same. You know, people don't have the same emphasis on like the future and things like this. But no, you know, this is an example of that mentality being proven wrong. Like uh, for, yeah, I was like, you, you kept listing Europe and I was like, well, what happened to the U.S.? How did we, when can I, when can I go on this slide? <laughs> no, it's awesome, but it's good. Good, good, good job, Europe. 
get, get out there, get get more yeah. get more slides in there <laughs> in VR. And of course, if if you want to collaborate with us and come work with us, we're very happy to chat and we do demos in San Francisco for you as well, Chris. You got to try it. Yes. Yes, let's 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 figure this out once we we end the show. So so Ando, this has been an amazing amazing show. I'm so glad I got to speak with you. How can people stay in touch and follow up with all the cool things you're doing these days? Come check us out on www.ballastvr.com. B a l l a s t v r.com. You can contact us from there. My name is Ando. I'm Ando at ballastvr.com. Very cool. And I'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes. Uh, Ando, I have completely am uh, now uh, assured that you, are, you, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. And uh, <laughs> I'm so grateful you came on the show. And, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do this again. So, so thanks, man. I am honored, Chris. Thanks for having me. We've been trying to do this for a while. I'm so glad we got around to it. Thank you so much.